Welcome back to The Foreign Desk. I'm Lisa Deftari. Just last week, I wrote an op-ed for Newsweek uh, in which I underscored the importance of calling out Jew hatred. You can find it on foreigndesknews.com, and I also did it in a video format. Um, the importance of calling out Jew hatred from Congress to Instagram. And this was before uh, things were as bad as they are this week uh, with uh, obviously what's going on with the media and uh, PR smear campaign against Israel. We're going to get all in, into that, talking about the uh, Al Jazeera reporter's funeral and how um, things went very, very wrong and uh, how the media and world opinion is handling that um, and how the world has come to justify Jew hatred because of not agreeing with Israel's policies, policies that they probably don't even know about, that they're learning about from Instagram models, that they're learning about uh, on the uh, world opinion stage. Uh, more important than ever is to talk about this with somebody who knows this from very, very uh, close up, front row seat at the United Nations. I'd like to invite back to the show Ambassador Danny Danone. Uh, he's the former uh, ambassador to the UN from Israel and also chairman of World Likud. Welcome back to the show, Ambassador. Thank you for having me again, Lisa. Always a pleasure. Of course. Um, ambassador, you obviously have a new book out and we'll get to that. This is your second book and, uh, and a big success. I hear it's uh, doing great on Amazon. Uh, and uh, I want to hear about your book. But we, before we get to that, let's handle some of this um, current events right now. Uh, we had this unfortunate uh, death of a uh, reporter, um, Shirin um, Abu Akleh, uh, for working for Al Jazeera of Palestinian descent, based in um, Jadin, where the, this raid was going on. Um, there was uh, no indication that, uh, you know, or clear indication of who killed her in this uh, gunfight. We have reluctance uh, by the Palestinians to uh, participate in a joint investigation to figure out who did it. There was hesitation to hand over the bullet, which Israel requ requested. Uh, and then we had her funeral, which was even worse because you're seeing something on media and uh, Israel's claiming something else. But um, before we even start, I want you all to watch a clip of what we're, what we're seeing all over social media, what we're seeing on the news as to how the world would like to portray what happened at the Al Jazeera reporter's funeral procession. Take a look. So if I'm watching this as an average viewer, I'm talking about somebody who has a clean slate, not even an anti-Israel bias. I'm thinking, wow, these Israelis are animals. They're attacking mourners. Not only did they kill this uh, journalist, but they're not even allowing her to have a uh, proper uh, funeral procession. They are hitting those who are carrying the coffin and actually uh, causing it to fall. Um, you know, that it, it, it looks horrific, right? Absolutely. You know, it's an unfortunate incident, but let's put everything in, in perspective. First of all, we have to remember that uh, in the last month and a half, 
more than 19 Israelis were wounded or killed uh, in a wave of terror in the streets of Israel. And our troops went into Jenin in order to prevent the next attack. Uh, uh, and uh, they were successfully on that. Unfortunately, uh, you, as you mentioned, the reporter was hit. We don't know how and by whom. And we are investigating it by ourselves. The Palestinians are not willing to do it jointly with us or with the U.S. And then that speaks for itself. But when you look at the funeral, Lisa, and those uh, pictures that you showed were, were not easy to anyone, but, but you have to understand what exactly happened there. The police and the family decided about the funeral uh, procedures. Uh, and why, when the funeral started, uh, a radical Muslim mob came in and tried to kidnap uh, the event, kidnap the coffin, and walk into the old city and not to use the cars and the convoy and everything which was in order. Uh, moreover, they started to attack the policemen uh, who were there, throwing uh, rocks on them. Uh, in Israel, like any other country, when someone throws rocks on the policeman, he's getting arrested. And, and that's what we did. Um, you know, it's not the first time that we see that the Palestinian Authority try to kidnap uh, events for their own propaganda. Uh, unfortunately, mm -hmm. we did it uh, this time all over again. Uh, but we are willing to investigate the case uh, about the shooting, uh, and we have to make sure that those who are throwing rocks on policemen will be behind bars. So we do have the clip of actually what happened. You won't see this by the Hadid family on Instagram. You won't see this by the actors and actresses that are posting this on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And you won't see this by uh, Talib and Ilhan Omar when they're trying to implicate Israel in these crimes. But this is actually moments before the clip that we just showed. This is what happened. <laughs> can see the attacks on the police. Right, Ambassador. Absolutely. You know, when you analyze those pictures, you, you see the attacks, you see uh, the stones being thrown, uh, and you understand it wasn't a peaceful funeral. And by the way, we, we know it wasn't the family uh, of the reporter or, or the Christian member of our community. It was Muslim radicals who came into the event and try to take over the event, and not for the first time. You know, we, we have seen it in the past that even disputes between Hamas and the Palestinian Authority with their funerals, who will carry the body, who will put their flag on the body. Unfortunately, uh, we saw it all over again. You know, there's there 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 are journalists killed everywhere every day. I mean, and I'm, I'm not saying this to belittle the death of this journalist by any means at all. I'm a journalist myself, and I, I obviously I, I feel for her, her family. She was there doing her job. Um, this shouldn't have happened uh, regardless of, 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 of uh, who, who did it. It should not have happened. 
but you never see this reaction. You know, Daniel Pearl was an American journalist who was killed in Pakistan. You did not see this kind of reaction by, by the Americans. You don't see this kind of reaction on social media. You just don't see this kind of reaction. So then the question begs, uh, you know, why? Why was it that we didn't see any kind of reaction for the 19 civilians who were killed, whether they were at a bar or they were going to the supermarket or they were going home to their children, you don't see any global reaction to that. And yet you see this kind of global reaction, people who don't even care to know both sides of the story. You and I can talk about the correct narrative, you know, till we turn blue in the face. And yet there is no opportunity to, to correct the narrative because nobody wants to hear it. Absolutely. And, and you know, uh, like you mentioned, uh, Lisa, uh, the UN Security Council never condemned the attacks on Israelis. The US president never condemned those attacks like he condemned what happened with the reporter. We regret uh, the tragedy. We said it from the first moment we learned about what happened there. But uh, I think it happened because the Palestinian Authority made like a campaign. They are still doing it, trying to gain the points. I called it in my book, Diplomatic Terrorism. That they take incidents and try to create a scene out of them. Uh, mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that's what they have been doing in the last 15 years. Instead of negotiating with us or promoting the well-being of the Palestinians, that, that's right. what they are trained to do. And by the way, that they, they know how to lie. I know it, believe me, after five years at the UN, they know how to spread lies very fast and exactly like they did with that funeral. You know, and it, it's mind-boggling. And I write about this in the op-ed uh, for Newsweek about this hypocrisy, because you have such a woke world, right? This this liberal agenda, this leftism that says, you know, you have to tolerate everyone. You know, you cannot, uh, you know, marginalize anyone by the, for their gender, for their religion, for their culture, for their race, anything. I mean, that's that's you know, and 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 much of that is very correct. But there's also this intersectionality that says. You know, if you are pro-LGBTQ, then you should be anti-Israel. If you are pro-Black Lives Matter, then you should be anti-Israel. If you, Meanwhile, you know, Jews, and I don't want to let anybody justify hating Jews because they are against Israel's policies, because as I said in the setup, I don't think that, that that's even a thing. If you are anti-Zionist, you are anti-Semitic. It's the only Jewish state in the country. We don't go around saying I'm pro you know, can Canadian or pro Venezuelan or pro this or pro that. It's a country, it's a sovereign nation. Why is it that we cannot get the, the media or or just popular opinion to understand that when there is a death on the Israel side, not a military death, a civilian death, they are handing out sweets on the streets. There are literally, there are videos of this, handing out sweets on the streets. And yet when there is this death, a tragic death, as you and I are both admitting to the fact that this is, I mean, this, there's not one person to say, thank God this reporter was killed. Not, you know, on, on either side. And I, and I, you know, you never see that from, from the Israeli side to, to celebrate, to promote death. Uh, you know, wh why has this or these tenets of anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism, been able to be carried out for so many years without there being a correction, especially in light of the current, uh, you know, environment of tolerance and promoting, you know, love across boundaries and, and everything like that. Well, I, I think you are optimistic, Lisa, and you have to be uh, uh, practical. It's not going to happen. You know, those who are against Israel will stay against Israel. And we have to fight back. 
Uh, and I think what we are now doing, we're exposing the real fate of the Palestinian Authority, the culture of hate, of incitement. You know, we never named uh, squares in Israel uh, after convicted terrorists. You know, if somebody is committing a crime, we condemn him immediately. That's not the case. And even today, when you look at the budget of the Palestinian Authority, they still spend hundreds of millions of U.S. dollars, taxpayers' dollars, on salaries for convicted terrorists and their families. And I ask myself, why? Why instead of building hospitals, instead of building your infrastructure, why you actually glorify terrorists and you encourage? You know, when we saw the last wave, some of the terrorists were arrested, they were inspired by hate online, by the words of Isha uh, Sinwar from Gaza and Mansour Abbas and his allies from Ramallah. And the incitement caused those individuals to take a knife and to come into Israel and to kill innocent Israelis. I mean, and, and I and I appreciate your um, I, I realistic approach, I should say. But I mean, you've dedicated your life to correcting the narrative, right? You've been there uh, at the UN, probably the most hostile place for anyone to defend Israel, and you continue to do it. And you know, it's it, it it's become harder than ever to defend Israel. So what do we do? First, I will tell you something like both of us, you know, dealing with speaking about the narrative. I always prefer to have the high ground than the moral ground. I prefer that we will be able to prevent terrorists from killing our children. Uh, and if it means that we have to give explanations to the UN or to the US, we'll do that. But I always told my colleagues in Jerusalem, you do whatever you have to do to protect our people, and we will deal with the international community. So yes, we, we know it's part of the game. We should continue to fight about the narrative. But at the end of the day, I prefer to be strong, to be able to defend ourselves. You know, when we look what's happening today in Ukraine, and we understand mm -hmm. that we need to have a sovereign country, sovereign military with the capabilities of, de of defending our people, that's something we should not take for granted. Even if it means that we sometimes we lose a fight on social media, or among the international uh, reporters. But at the end of the day, uh, we want to keep this very safe and we will continue to do it. Okay, so I'm gonna go from optimistic to pessimistic in, in about 10 seconds. So right now, uh, it's really bad for Israel, right? In terms of, and nothing's really changed in terms of its policies or anything like that, but it's because of social media. It's because of the, 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 of the power of the, the traditional media. Um, that Jew hatred has become so perverse and it's become much more escalated. So when they would chant on the streets in these protests, the pro-Palestinian pro protests here in Los Angeles yesterday, I passed by one. The chants are no longer for let there be peace or no justice, no peace or two state solution or it's about free Palestine. It's from the river to the sea. They're calling for Israel to be wiped off the map. And maybe they believed it before. Maybe they felt it in their hearts before. Maybe it was in their in 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 their culture before. But now they are absolutely not afraid to say it. And when you see this kind of anti-Israel, uh, anti-Jewish sentiments all throughout the world, with the rise in anti-Semitic crime, I mean, anti-Semitism is about sixty to seventy percent of hate crimes right now. And Jews are about 2% less of the, the population here in the United States, for example. Um, it's, it's very, very, very scary to think that 
they won't stop. They will try to take Israel off the map. What do you Indeed, think? We are here for the long run. And that's the main point I, I stress in my book, in the Lion's Den, that, you know, sometimes we lose the, the fight at the UN, but we, we know how to prevail in the long run. Even when I was in the Security Council by myself in 2016, when President Obama pushed a resolution condemning Israel, I told my colleagues, you know, it's shameful what you are doing here, but we overcame the Babylonians, the Romans, we will overcome uh, this resolution as well. So when you come to Israeli sign, you see what we achieved in short 74 years, you realize that uh, that's part of our story, to overcome hate, overcome the incitement, uh, and, and, to, and to build a beautiful country. And that's what we are doing today in Israel. And we have new friends, new partners in the Gulf. The Abraham Accords are amazing. And we are continuing to build more bridges with many countries. Now, um, speaking of, of your experiences at the UN and, and fighting many resolutions, including the one that you just mentioned, uh, I want to get to your book, Inside the Lines, and what a perfect title for the job that you uh, handled every day. I think since you left the UN, you're probably aging backwards, right? Having uh, much less stress in your life. Um, tell us why you decided to write this book, why you wanted these stories to get out there. You know, many people that don't realize what's really happening uh, at the UN or in international diplomacy. Uh, and I felt that I, I want to tell them the real story, what's happened behind the scenes, how it works between the leaders. When you see those resolutions, the speeches, the, the, the events uh, in the world affairs, uh, you know, five years, it's a very long time uh, at the UN, you can imagine. You know, Daniel in, in the Bible, he spent one night in the lions then. Uh, and for me, it was five years. So you can imagine that the amount of stories and the inside, and I revealed some uh, secrets that nobody heard about before in the book. You know, it wasn't easy for me to get the approval from the Israeli censorship, but I fought for that. And I'm, I tell the stories behind the resolutions, who helped us, who actually uh, fought against us. And I think we can learn about the future, two things. First, that we do have friends, but they are quiet. And we need to encourage them to, to support us publicly. And the second thing is that when it comes to crucial decision, we should ignore pressures from all directions, including from our allies, and we should take the right decision. And when we speak about the JCPOA or the Vienna talks, that's a lesson for the future about what Israel has to do if, God forbid, Iran will become nuclear. Um, what's interesting is that you talk about these these friends that we have. And, and how they're very reluctant to speak up. I mean, doesn't that speak to an overarching culture at the UN that will never be corrected? Uh, when when bodies like Saudi Arabia, the Iran regime, Venezuela, Cuba, they're promoted to human rights uh, committees and even committees that are uh, supporting the rights of women. It's a joke. It's an absolute joke. And then Israel is condemned or, you know, uh, an investigation is opened into X, Y, Z about Israel. It speaks to a broader um, culture about what's going on. In Israel. Is there any way to influence that? Yes, and I prove it in the book that we can change and we can win even in a hostile place like the UN. You know, one of the examples is when I decided to run for a position at the UN for the chairmanship of the legal committee, the sixth committee, and I won. Uh, that was a precedent. I became the first Israeli ever to chair a UN committee for the entire uh, year. And it proves that we can do things even in a hostile place like the UN, but, but you need to be bold, 
to believe in your heritage and not to play defense. You have to play offense. And if you read the forward in the book by Ambassador Nikki Haley, she speaks about us playing offense together and actually putting resolution condemning Hamas against Hezbollah. So we put the pressure on our enemies. That is the only way to move forward at the UN. Because if you see the idly by, they will come after you all the time. You had uh, quite a different experience under President Obama and then President Trump. And now um, under President Biden, I mean, you're not there, but obviously you're observing, uh, you know, very, very different relationships with Israel. Right. You had President Trump, who moved the embassy, who was supportive um, of, of Israel in, in every way. The Abraham Accords brought so much prosperity to Israel and, 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 and really changed the course of the modern Middle East in so many ways. And then, you know, sandwiched between Obama and Biden administration that are much more hostile towards um, Israel. How much does that affect Israel, both at the U.N. Uh, and you know, globally in terms of its security and, and its uh, relationship with other nations? Well, it's major. The U.S. is the strongest ally of Israel, and we feel it. Uh, we felt it, you know, during Obama's years when he supported us and when he decided at the last minute not to support us and to leave us by ourselves. We felt it. Uh, it was very hard for us. And when President Trump and Nikki Haley came in, you know, immediate change, you know, we moved the embassy, pulled out for the Iran deal, uh, organizing the Golan Heights. Great moments for Israel. And even now, you know, we started the conversation about the funeral. You know, when I saw the remarks of the ambassador uh, of the U.S. to the U.N., uh, I was disappointed. You know, she, she okay. knows better than that. She knows okay. about the morality of the IDF and about the mm -hmm. fact that we do not instigate any fight. And same with the spokesperson of the president. When you look at her last okay. press conference, she focused on, on Israel. So uh, we hope it will change in the near future. When you say she knew better than that, it's very interesting to me because I, I, I believe that's true too. But why then? If they know better, then why do they come out on the public stage and speak a different way? Because they want to appease uh, some of the uh, voices in the international community, maybe in domestic politics, uh, but that's not uh, going to get them anywhere. They have to stick to the facts. And by the way, we are open to criticism. When I served at the UN and I speak about it in the book, whenever we were blamed on something, I told them, give me 24 hours, I will get back to you with the, with the facts. And I called my friends in the Ministry of Defense and we, and we gave them the facts, the intelligence material, and we proved them wrong. You know, sometimes they just ignore the facts, but I, I think that's what we expect from our allies. They can ask for questions, they can ask for answers, they can criticize us, but they shouldn't... Uh, change the facts that we, on the ground and then know what are the facts on the ground yeah it's it's unfortunate we're living at a time which facts don't matter they just don't they just don't and and emotions and and how someone feels about something will always trump facts and and it's un very very unfortunate because we see this um you know escalating every single day whether it's on college campuses or at the un or on social media um let's talk a bit about what's going on back in in israel and how that's you know, affecting um, what we're, we're seeing in, in the media. Um, let's compare Naftali Bennett to Bibi Netanyahu. Is there any difference in how um, Israelis, uh, Israel's security apparatus is, is, is functioning? Is there a difference in how they're viewing national security and how everything is, is playing out, particularly in the most recent affairs? 
So unfortunately, we do not have a functioning government today. You have a very narrow coalition. You know, it's 60-60 in a parliament of 120 seats. Uh, and within the 60 coalition members, you have an extremist Arab party. And it's very hard to govern and to find, fight extremists when you have uh, those voices in your coalition. So officially, you know, the policy is to endorse our troops and to uh, give them uh, the support and empowerment. But actually, you know, the orders are to try to appease. You know, when you look at what happened on the Temple Mount in the last month, in the month of Ramadan, yes. every day you had riots in the mosques, you had violence in the old city. Uh, that's bad. That shows weakness. And in the Middle East, when you show weakness, you're actually uh, expecting more pressure on you. Right. Um, what can Israel do from the inside? That I mean, what would your your criticism be of how the government is handling things and how you believe its reverberations are are causing it to be vulnerable in terms of its security? So it's everything about perception of power. You know, we are strong. We know that our enemies know that. But once the perception that uh, we are not enforcing the law, uh, people are using it. We see it, you know, when the Palestinians are attacking innocent Israelis, where Arab Israelis, not all of them, radical minority, are actually attacking uh, Jews inside Israel. Uh, and we see the rhetoric coming from uh, Gaza and Lebanon. So we have mm -hmm. to understand that the perception of power is important. Uh, and I think we will have to restore uh, the strengths that we have in the region, because otherwise we will have to deal with more terror attacks every week. Every week, I, yeah, we're watching that. You know, from from the north, from the south, from the West Bank, um, it's it's really Israel is surrounded. But what would you say, um, particularly as we see Lebanon with its elections, Hezbollah's uh, growing threat and and potential um, uh, threat to to be and have more power there, um, Iran, the if the if the nuclear deal goes through, um, there's a long list of things for Israel to worry about and be vulnerable uh, to. But what would you say is uh, Israel's number one uh, security vulnerability right now? So uh, the main issue is Iran. You know, when you look at all the problems in the region, it's all coming from Tehran. And the main threat is, is the ability of uh, Iran to produce nuclear capability. That's something we cannot allow, we will not allow, and we will do whatever is necessary to prevent Iran from becoming nuclear. If the US will not do it, if the EU will not do it, we will be the one standing against evil. Now, we're watching in the news in the past four or five days as the Iranian people have come out onto the streets in all kinds of cities. It's not just Tehran. It's not just the cool kids, you know, that are coming out onto the streets. We're seeing people from all walks of life, all sorts of ethnicities within Iran coming out onto the streets. And it's not about the price of bread, even though the mainstream media is minimizing their, their efforts. It really is an asking for a toppling of the regime. They want this regime to go. They're saying death to the supreme leader, Khamenei. They're saying death to President Raisi. Um, 80 million people, I'm not saying every single one of them, but a majority of, of people are, are very much fed up with the government of the past 42 years. One of the slogans that you hear on the street is that we made a mistake by revolting and we want the Shah of Iran, his son, to come back to Iran. That is a huge potential ally for Israel when, when Israel is saying, we don't want nuclear weapons for Iran, we don't want to empower this regime. When the Iranian people are saying, please don't empower our government, but yet you have the European Union, you have the uh, United States that are pushing forward 
with a deal that will certainly empower the government of Iran. We saw the Abraham Accords and how successful they were. And we've heard the idea of a Cyrus Accords, Israel being able to reach out to the people of Iran and having some sort of ally or some sort of relationship because of the common enemy that they share. And that is the regime or the mullahs that are sitting in Tehran. What's the potential of something like that happening? We pray for the day we will be able to walk together with the Iranian people like we used to do before the revolution. You know, we, we collaborated, uh, we, we admire the wisdom. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the regime took over and they are suffering the most. So we pray for them. We know that uh, they have nothing against us and we don't have nothing against them. Uh, and we hope that soon, inshallah, the day will come that we will be able to walk directly with the Iranian people and, and help them to prosper. They deserve it. They don't deserve the poor conditions uh, and the tyranny that they are facing with their own regime. Right. Right. Absolutely right. You know, this is a, a question I get all the time. Um, people who support Israel, like yourself and myself, um, who, who, who do it, you know, without any hesitation, um, we are really in, in uh, the line of fire. Right. And many people are not willing to be in the line of fire and I don't blame them. Right. It can affect their their businesses and their lives. And, you know, um, I, I posted a, a challah board that I got as a gift on Friday and on my Instagram. And I said Shabbat Shalom. And I lost 200 of my followers, um, I think maybe more, but about that much. Um, and it's interesting because when I support the Iranian people against terrorism or the people of Syria against ISIS or the people of Iraq against ISIS, everybody loves the reporting. But when you talk about terrorism coming against Israel in the form of Hamas and you talk about the Palestinian people actually being victim to terrorism uh, from their leadership and from Hamas, people get, you know, very, very, very um you know, hostile in, in, towards that opinion. And for that reason, I get a lot of questions, uh, particularly at a time like this, saying we feel outnumbered and we don't know if we should speak out because it's not going to help. You know, going back to your idea of being realistic versus optimistic, we don't know whether we should speak out. And if we do, we're outnumbered. The Hadid family, I mean, their their daughters are models. They wear skimpy bikinis, but they are they they really dedicate their time to talking about how horrific Israel is. And if you combine their followers, the family has about 52 or 53 million followers. I mean, that's, what is that? Five, four or five times the number of, of Jews in the world. How can we even begin to combat this false narrative? So, Elisa, we do not have to appease everybody all the time. We have to think about moral clarity. We were never the majority. Uh, the story of the Jewish people is the story of minorities. Uh, and we have to understand that we will continue to be uh, in small numbers, but that doesn't mean we don't stand in the right side of history. So we should continue to prevail, continue to explain our positions. Uh, and we have to understand it's not going to end tomorrow. Every day we'll have to wake up, continue with the fight for moral uh, uh, clarity. Uh, and we need people like you and like many others who are standing uh, for the truth. Uh, I want to thank you. I have to conclude because, uh, uh, as you know, the book is coming out tomorrow. Uh, and uh, we are very excited about it. And we have uh, a lot of things coming up uh, for the book publication tomorrow. 
Perfect. Perfect timing. That was my last question, but I encourage you all to run out and get this book. It's an Amazon bestseller already. Um, and I, I, I really encourage you to, to know really what's going on, whether you're a defender of Israel or somebody who's on the fence or somebody who just doesn't know about the history of the region um, and, and what's going on today. I encourage you to pick up the book In the Lion's End by Ambassador Danny Danon. Please keep up, keep up the good fight. Stay safe. Good luck with the book. And I hope you will join us back on our program very, very soon. To the rest of you who would like to sign up for our uh, weekly podcast, subscribe on YouTube, youtube.com slash Lisa Daftari. And to sign up for our daily top 10 email now free for everyone, go to foreigndesknews.com and you can sign up there. And we will see you all next week. Thank you and have a wonderful day.